Welcome to PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. I'm John Bernstein, Regional President of PNC Bank of New England, alongside my co-host, Carolyn Jones, publisher of the Boston Business Journal. Thanks, John. It's great to be with you on PNC C-Speak. Each podcast features local executives talking about relevant and timely business topics. This knowledge sharing platform showcases leaders with forward thinking approaches that disrupt the status quo and cause us to think differently. Our guest today is Sam King, CEO of cybersecurity firm Barricode. Sam, welcome again. Great to see you as always. So we'd like to just start off by maybe having you tell us just a little bit about yourself. And it's great to be here, Carolyn and John. Thank you for having me. So I'm the CEO of Veracode. I've been with the company for 15 years. I actually joined the company when we were still in stealth mode. Uh, We didn't have any customers or any revenue and very few employees. So it's been an amazing ride to see the growth of our market and see the growth of our company over that time period. And uh, I've been in the Boston area since around 1997 when... uh, What you do after you get a master's in computer science is you go get recruited by a cool startup in Cambridge. So I started my career in Kendall Square and uh, went from one company to another and found my way to cybersecurity at some point. PNC sponsored Ernst & Young Entrepreneurs of the Year Awards, which recognized you for your commitment to making Veracode a leader in software security. Please tell us more about the journey that shaped who you are as a leader and influenced your vision for the future. Yeah, and it's been quite a journey, you know, when you take an organization from uh, zero customers to north of 2,600 customers at this point in time distributed all across the globe. And uh, there's a lot of change and growth and lots of interesting things that you have to navigate as you go on that journey. Last year for calendar year 2021, we reported that uh, we grew our revenues 13% year over year. We overperformed on the rule of uh, 40 metric, which you take a look at for a lot of SaaS companies where you're looking at their growth and you're looking at their profit margin. So from a financial standpoint, we feel very good about the performance that we've delivered. But really what has defined our journey over the course of those last 15 years is the passion that our employees have had around the mission we have to secure the world's software. So the company was founded by Chris Weisopel and a few of his co-founders, and uh, Chris and his co-founders had this view that the world is going to be increasingly reliant on software. And they had this view in 2004, 2005, 2006, before mobile apps became popular, before everything moved to digitization. And so I have to say that they were very much visionaries in that regard, looking forward and seeing how much was going to be relying on software. And because they had been in the security space, they were deeply concerned about the vulnerabilities that are present in these software applications, including open source applications that a lot of people use that ultimately can get exploited and bring about the kinds of exploits and breaches that we hear about in the news. Uh, Chris has testified in front of Congress, albeit 25 years ago, warning them about what could happen. And it feels like even today we're hearing those in, in the news. So there's this, there's been this mission and passion around securing the world software that has driven the work of all of our employees over the course of that time period. And our journey has been 
somewhat typical and then somewhat unique to us. So we were a venture-backed startup in cybersecurity. We grew very fast, acquired a lot of great talent. We built our core product offering over the course of many years. We expanded that product offering to have this end-to-end -end platform that allows our customers to not just test their software and find vulnerabilities and fix them, but also to educate their developers on how to write secure code to begin with, because the best way of dealing with this problem is to have developers create secure code. And then you don't have those vulnerabilities to begin with. So we do a lot for application security and a lot for the development teams of the customers that we work with. And we've been through some transitions as a company where we've gone through a number of uh, M&A transactions ourselves. And then at the beginning of 2019, we got spun out to become an independent company again and Veracode again. And we've been continuing our profitable growth journey since then. So uh, lots of uh, interesting twists and turns, but we feel very fortunate to have had the opportunity to shape this market while working on a mission that all of us are so passionate about. Sam, I think that's terrific. And just hearing the passion that you have for what you do, which is so important in the realm of cybersecurity. So it's just, it's just great hearing about that journey and the company that you and your team have built. Let's talk a little bit more kind of about you. Tell us a little bit about your own career journey as Veracode's leader. And maybe part of that could be the courage that it took to jump to Veracode. So just share with us a little bit about you and how your own personal leadership and your own journey plays into the success. Yeah. So, you know, one of the things that I've talked about when I think about career development and the topic of leadership is the importance of networking and just always being plugged into your community, other people that are in your industry or adjacent industries. And when you ask me about how I got introduced to Veracode and my journey inside Veracode, it very much is as a result of networking and being connected with somebody that had provided the first round of funding for Veracode when it was being stood up as a company. And I had worked for them at a prior organization. They were the CEO of a cybersecurity company, Maria Reno. They went on to found 406 Ventures, who was one of the Series A funders for Veracode. And through Maria Reno, I got introduced to the founding team at Veracode to have a conversation with them. And prior to that, I was working at a cybersecurity company, but in a slightly different area of cybersecurity, we were focused more on network security and Veracode was looking to focus more on application security and software security. And one of the things that was interesting to me was that before I joined cybersecurity and really my first job after I graduated with a master's degree in computer science, which after you do that, what you do is you go find a job as a developer. So I did that and I went to Cambridge and worked for a startup writing code. You know, one of the observations I had was as we were creating these beautiful e-commerce experiences for our customers and we were delivering the applications to them, someone somewhere along the way would ask us, what about security of the code that you've delivered to us? And this is super early on. This is 2005, right? And what I observed was that the people that were writing the code and producing the code and the people that were going to be receiving these applications that were going to run their business using these applications had curiosity on this topic, but didn't necessarily have knowledge on this topic or what exactly to do to make sure that you're not just delivering great experiences, you're de delivering a secure experience as well. And so when I came across Veracode and learned that 
this is exactly the problem that they're looking to solve and do it in an automated fashion, it was intriguing to me. And I, at the time, thought that I really liked working for startups. <laughs> 15 years on, I can say I really like working for a company like Miracode is today as well. But then I thought I really want to work for a startup because there are so many different ways that you can progress your career. There are so many opportunities that I decided to join this team. And my first job was to actually be responsible for customer success. There was just one catch. We had no customers at the time. <laughs> so it was a very easy job. <laughs> I had no customers that I had to do anything for, so no one could be unhappy with me. And at the same time, it was a kind of a high-risk job because if we didn't go get customers, I wasn't going to have a job for much longer. So, you know, as is the case with an early-stage startup, I think we were 30 people at the time that I joined, you wear lots of different hats. So I did lots of different things. We, of course, got our first customer and our second and our 10th and our thousands and so on and so forth. And obviously, you know, grew our practice significantly, but that rapid growth, what it allowed me to do was live life on many sides of the organization. So while I started in customer success, I moved into product marketing and then I moved into product management and then I did strategy and I did corporate development along the way. I did a portion of sales along the way. I was the general manager for a mobile business for a certain time period. And so I felt like that gave me uh, empathy for what it is like to do all of those jobs inside an organization and how all these teams need to come together in aid of the commitment that we've made to our customers at the end of the day, right? And so I think that that put me in a position where once I had assumed the role of general manager and we got spun out to be an independent company, I was able to take on the role of CEO. Sam, with cybersecurity being so top of mind, what role are you seeing in the business community and in the government in taking actions to address this important topic? Yeah, great question. And uh, there's a lot of action on this topic now across the business community and uh, those that are in positions to have mandates and specify regulations and so forth. So we saw the Biden administration come out with the executive order on cybersecurity in uh, May of last year. And uh, it lays out a number of different cybersecurity practices that uh, they are asking any federal agency to adhere to, but also they're using the purchasing power of the federal government to have those practices be required for anybody that is a supplier to the federal government. So if you think about the reach that the federal government has through its procurement process, they're really using this as a mechanism to raise the standards for cybersecurity across everyone. So I think that that's been a really, really important movement in the industry in the last year that is now requiring businesses to do what has always been the right thing, but now you really do need to do it. Yeah, a complete shift from earlier in your career where you talked about the customers were wondering if the platform was secure to today, where it's now part of the infrastructure that's critical to business operations. Exactly. These past two years have been challenging. In what ways has the pandemic influenced or shifted how you lead and how you look at things in business and community long term? The last two years have definitely been challenging. There's you know, no question about that, right? When this all got going in March of uh, 2020, we had just come through a series of changes, M&A transactions for the company. And we were feeling really good about the fact that we had come through those changes and now was our time to settle down and stay focused on our execution and go forward. 
And then this thing called a pandemic hit. So, you know, all of a sudden you're dealing with change again. And in this time period, change that is ill understood. There's no precedent for it, or certainly not a recent precedent of how to navigate an organization and navigate a community through the pandemic. And, you know, when people look to leaders, uh, I think that there are a few things uh, people are looking for because ultimately they want to be able to trust the leader to get them to their goal and do so in a way that has been personally nurturing for them and that has helped them personally develop. And, you know, you're looking for some sense of logic. You're looking for them to be authentic. You're looking to have some empathy. And this was a situation where I didn't feel like I could provide logical answers on what was going on. You know, I am not an epidemiologist. I am not an economist. Uh, I read The Economist, but that does not make me an economist. And I definitely do not read anything to do with epidemiology, although I have, you know, increased that reading over the course of the last two years. And so, so how do you provide some sense of balance and some sense of, okay, we know this, but we don't know that at this kind of time period, right? So so it has affected how I think about the community at large and I, how I think about leading in a profound way. And overnight, we had to make this change where we were 100% virtual, everybody was working from home. And what we had to do was just a lot of communication around, this is what we know, this is what we don't know, here are the things that we're prioritizing. So we came up with a framework around, it's about employee well-being, it's about customer well-being, and it's about business well-being. So trying to put some structure during a time when very little felt structured, right? And then talking about our actions in the context of those pillars that we had just laid out and helping people just navigate through that. Uh, we tried to be as flexible as we could be around working hours. I mean, I would get on calls where uh, I have somebody doing a call with me and their child is sitting on their lap and that's okay. And they're, they're maybe in the early days a little embarrassed about it. And then, you know, soon enough, everyone got used to it and there was nothing embarrassing about it. I had my dog sitting in the back, you know, so everyone got used to those kinds of things. But then you entered the second year of this, pandemic and uh, you see fatigue, right? You see people being tired and you see people really missing this contact with, with other human beings because we are at the end of the day, social beings. So the first year for us was about just helping people navigate through this while staying healthy and staying whole. And the second year was around, okay, what do we do to help people navigate this fatigue and are there safe ways in which we can bring people together so that they can have this human interaction, perhaps not every single day, but every so often so that we feel this connectedness back into the organization. So for me, I literally got to see who our employees do the work for, right? I met their family members on Zoom, our teams. I met, you know, I met their pets, I met their parents. And that gives you just a whole other degree of empathy and uh, a sense of responsibility, frankly, towards the organization that you're leading and driving us to success. You know, to take this question a little bit further, again, the times we're in have been really turbulent and uncertain, not only with the pandemic, but with, you know, so many other things that are happening nationally and globally. So can you share some of your observations on the economy and the future outlook of our city? What are you optimistic about? What worries you? 
Yeah. So it has been a turbulent time. I think the month of January was a pretty volatile time for the markets. A very different start in January of 2022 to the markets than it was in January of 2021. And when the pandemic started in 2020, I don't think anybody could have envisioned some of the highs that the market got to after that either, right? So it's been a very interesting time in the markets over the course of the last two years. And I think that we are seeing uh, a lot of uh, issues that are to do with the interconnectedness that we have as an economy. Supply chain is a word that now every person on the planet is familiar with, right? And not just familiar with, they have firsthand experience of what a disruption in the supply chain could mean for them. Avocados are more expensive is a news report I heard this week, right? And and not, not, not only can people now digest that information, they can understand what all of these interdependencies are. So I think one of the things that is coming through is people are looking at what are the systems of resilience that are built into their operational practices as an organization, right? How, how resilient is their software supply chain? How much redundancy is there? We, we've historically focused a lot of our attention on being efficient, but now there's a lot of, attention being focused on how do you be resilient in this kind of an environment, right? The other thing that we've seen in the economy is what's been referred to as the great resignation or the great reassessment. When human beings go through a period like we've gone through for the last two years, you start to think about what do I really want to do? What drives me? Is, is, is Am I using my time in the most constructive and most fulfilling way possible? And I think that that has created simultaneously a lot of change and disruption, but it has also created a lot of opportunity. I'll speak for ourselves. You know, we have uh, moved to a place where we are going to be a remote first organization. So whenever the next normal comes, I don't know when it is going to be, I hope it is soon, but whenever the next normal comes, uh, we have uh, extended the flexibility to all our employees and all prospective employees to work from where they want to. And they can choose to be a hybrid employee where they come into the office a couple of days a week, or they can choose to work remotely. Now, the advantage of that is that it gives us a lot of flexibility in terms of where we hire talent. Cybersecurity is an area where there is tremendous shortage of talent. So it allows us to broaden our reach. And the advantage for the employee is that if that's what allows them to strike that work-life balance where they get to work on really innovative technologies by being part of this cybersecurity company, but at the same time, attend to what they need to in their personal life, they have that option. Now, as a leader, I love being able to offer that. I also then think about how do we enable everyone from an individual contributor to a manager to the senior leadership in the company on how to continue to nurture our culture in a world where we're going to be remote first. So we are going to find ways to bring people together safely so that we can have those points of connection. And we're going to set expectations around what does it mean when you're working remotely all of the time and what are you responsible for and what should, what should you seek from your manager and the other way around. So I think it's, uh, it's causing us to be more aware of the environment around us and the environment's impact on whatever the business drivers are that we are marching towards. And it's causing us to have a lot more empathy for our employees and the way in which employees want to work moving forward. It is amazing how the world has shifted in the two years through this pandemic and how you've rethought business practices. You also share with us though that 
career advice on the importance of networking. And throughout your experiences, you've connected with many great people throughout your career. What is some of the best advice you've been given or have picked up along the way that you'd like to share with us? Yeah, so I think I've been given a lot of great advice along the way because we don't do this alone, right? We do this by seeking wisdom from those that have been there before us. And so I've been fortunate to have a lot of mentors and uh, including, you know, my predecessor in this role, Bob Brennan and others that have uh, equip me with a lot of great guidance, but I'll tell you one episode that comes to mind where I had the opportunity to meet the CEO of a very large organization, significantly, significantly larger than Veracode. And uh, I had the opportunity to have uh, lunch with them. So it was a one-on-one setting. And, you know, I said to myself, I can't let this opportunity go without asking them for some advice they would have because they're like, you know, the, the CEO of this enormous company and what can they tell me that can make me better at what I do? And so I asked them, I said, you know, what advice would you have for me, uh, given the role that I have, the organization I'm leading and the aspirations that I've shared with you, I have for the for the company? And, uh, and their response to me was, they said, stop going around asking people for advice. You know what to do. Just go do it. <laughs> And, and and for a moment, I sat back and I was like, okay, well, that didn't land exactly how I had planned. But but what they were saying was, they actually gave me some really good advice because what they were saying to me was, you know, trust your instincts because we are processing so much data and so much input at any given moment in time. And think about the start of the pandemic. I mean, we were processing data that we were ill-equipped to understand and very little data, I might add, at that point in time, right? So, so much is coming into you that sometimes I think what you have to do is you have to take all that advice in, you have to take all that data in, you synthesize it, you analyze it, and then you have to see what is your instinct telling you? Which direction should you lean in, right? What are you trying to optimize for? And there's oftentimes this gut feeling that you have about something else. Now, if you're only going on gut feeling without the backdrop of those other uh, preparatory things that I mentioned, then you're going to get in trouble. But if you've done that, then trust your instinct. And that was great advice from him, right? So I just thought that that was uh, simultaneously great advice while telling me not to ask for advice. That is a great piece of advice. So let me just turn that around a little bit. So from your perspective, what is some advice that you would give to business leaders and perhaps maybe for that C-suite leader, but also to the next generation of executives? I have advice for C-suite leaders that I think applies to anybody that aspires to be there as well. And then I have some added thoughts for people that want to get to that level. But for the C-suite If there's one skill I feel that we can just continually be better and better at as leaders is communication. And we feel like we do it all the time. So, of course, we have so much practice at communicating, right? So we must be great at it because we do so much of it. We have so much practice. But just because you think you have communicated something doesn't necessarily mean that your audience has received it in the way that you intended Right. So it is so important for us to keep honing our communication skills and checking back in with people on what did you hear? What are you thinking? Give me some feedback, asking for feedback, because that reveals to you whether what you intended to convey for your strategy, for your culture, for anything through your communication, whether it landed the way that you intended for it to not. 
So I think that's the one thing that we can continually keep getting better at is really, really focus on how we're communicating. I think it was uh, George Bernard Shaw that said uh, the biggest illusion with communication is that it has been done. Very good. Right. So I think we can remember that. (laughs) Now, outside of that, any thoughts for sort of that up and coming young executive or aspiring executive? Same. Yeah. So the advice that I would have there is, first of all, like a very basic piece of advice is perseverance goes a long way. You know, like it's, it's kind of a simple thing to say to work hard. But I'm telling you, working hard and just persevering helps you break through a bunch of walls and a bunch of barriers that are invariably going to be in your path. And so that simple, simple ethos of just working hard and persevering is super important. And that is what you can do in your sphere of control. So I oftentimes talk to people about, think about what is your sphere of control because you have total agency here. You don't need permission from anybody else to go do that, right? I don't need permission from anybody else to go read an article on some topic that's going to make me a better informed CEO today. I can go do that, right? That's entirely up to me. But then there's this, your sphere of influence, which is there are people or organizations that are going to affect the outcome for you and your organization that are not 100% in your control, right? It could be it could be your investors, it could be your board, it could be some partners that you rely on to run your business, it, it could it could be anybody, but it's it's an adjacent it's an adjacent area. And so not just staying within your sphere of control, but identifying who are these influencers for you and for your business and connecting into them, which gets into the networking theme that we were talking about earlier, right? So making sure that you're being active in your sphere of influence as well. So you're connected into that community and that will be super helpful to you. And maybe you can provide something back, which will feel really gratifying to you as well, right? So I think that's the other, that's the other thing that I would tell people that aspire to get to that level. Perseverance, critical, all throughout your career and every all endeavors. Absolutely. Sam, we'd like to close with some rapid fire questions. Are you ready off the top of your head? Sure, go for it. All right, what are you currently reading or watching? Currently reading, I'm reading The Disruption Mindset by Charlene Lee. It's a book around how to bring about transformation in large organizations or small organizations. Who's a Boston leader organization that you watch? You know, there's an organization that I'm currently keeping an eye on. It's called e for all My mentor who had mentioned earlier, Bob Brennan, is closely involved with them. It's called Entrepreneurship for All, and they're looking to bring uh, acceleration and incubator-type capabilities to communities and make uh, entrepreneurship inclusive for all. And I think their Boston chapter just received an award uh, from Startup Boston. So it feels like a really great organization. Absolutely. A great organization. Actually, the PNC Foundation has supported E for All through its commitment to racial and social justice. What's a favorite spot you have in the city? The Frog Pond at the Boston Common. I have such fond memories of going there uh, with my kids when they were little. And uh, what a great spot. I love that spot. Summer or the winter? Summer more so than the winter, uh, but both times. I mean, when you're when you're skating, that's awesome. And when they're playing around in that water park, that's awesome. <laughs> what makes you laugh? What makes me laugh? Uh, currently, Ted Lasso. <laughs> been enjoying We're that, that a lot. quite a bit. <laughs> been enjoying that. Goldfish is important, yeah. Yeah. And finally, a wish for Boston. 
for it to become warmer faster. <laughs> That's a very immediate term, immediate term wish. So I guess, you know, my real wish for Boston is we just had a historic event with the new mayor being sworn in in Boston. And uh, I look at Boston and I see, I think, seven publicly traded cybersecurity companies that market capitalization in total is in the billions for them. I see a lot of large companies like Veracode. And I think that Boston has the opportunity to become a cybersecurity hub and also a very diverse and inclusive cybersecurity hub. So that would be my great wish for Boston. And that wraps up another episode. Thank you so much for joining us, Sam, and for sharing your insights. Thank you for having me. Thanks so much. I'm John Bernstein. And I'm Carolyn Jones, and this is C-Speak, the language of executives. Our guest today was Sam King, CEO of Veracode. You can find PNC C-Speak at bizjournals.com backslash Boston, or on any of your favorite podcast platforms. Until next time. You've been listening to PNC C-Speak, the language of executives. This podcast and other engaging episodes can be found at bizjournals.com slash Boston. Search PNC. Subscribe at the Boston Business Journal, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or your favorite podcast platform. Come back soon and join us for another PNC C-Speak.